Tune your ear to wisdom. Cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Welcome to Project Philippians, a deep dive into one of the richest treasure mines in Scripture. I'm delighted to have you join me today for another excavation into an amazing 2,000-year-old book. Hey, my friends. I want to start today by reading a passage from the book of Isaiah. He wrote these words some 2,700 years ago, and 700 years after he wrote them, the Messiah himself, Jesus, quoted this very passage at the inauguration of his own ministry. It's a, it's a famous song. I'm sure you'll be familiar with it. It says in Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from the darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieved in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And then this climactic finale is what I want to key in on today. They will be called trees of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now, I want you to hold on to that phrase because I believe that phrase was firmly fixed in Paul's mind and it came out in the end of his prayer. And before we look at that, I want to pray myself. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came And you proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor. And you brought mercy and you released the prisoners and you set captives free and you brought healing and salvation. But Lord, your ministry is not done. There's still more to come. Lord, we look forward to the day of the Lord, but we we want to know more about what it's going to be like on that day. So will you open our eyes to that a little bit more today? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, my friends, we have finally come to the climactic end of Paul's opening prayer for the Philippians, and I think you will see that it is a triumphant finale for sure. So before I read it, let's read the entire prayer. We're going to start today in Philippians 1.9. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, able to discern what is best, so that you may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. My friend, I have a question for you. What are you going to take to heaven with you? You know, there's that uh, silly story about the the rich man who uh, died and went to heaven, and uh, he met St. Peter at the gates, and he said, you know, I know we're not supposed to be able to bring anything with us, but can you just make an exception for me? There's just a few things I'd really like to bring with me. And, and Peter said, well, I guess so, but I'll tell you what, just just give you one suitcase. That's, that's the limit, just one suitcase. And so the man quickly went back, filled his suitcase with all the gold bricks that he had stored uh, in his home. And uh, so he packed the suitcase, went back to heaven. Peter took him to his the home that he'd be in there in heaven. And, and uh, he said, so what you got in the, in the case? And, and so the man opened his case and Peter looked at that gold. And then he looked out the window at the golden streets and he turned to the man and he said, you got one suitcase and all you could bring was asphalt? 
<laughs> okay, that's a silly story and theologically completely inaccurate. But the point is that uh, we can't bring anything with us, can we, to heaven? Well, according to this verse, as a matter of fact, we can and we will. According to Paul, when we arrive in heaven, we're going to be bringing with us fruit. Yeah, fruit. That's what he says. On the day of Christ Jesus, we will be bearing fruit. That's what we're going to talk about today. I want to unwrap this passage. I just think this verse is so filled with such a beautiful, joyful description of what that day is going to be like. I actually love that Scripture uses the illustration of fruit so often because, I mean, I love fruit. I mean, who doesn't? You know, I, I had the privilege of growing up in the California Central Coast where we had pretty much good fruit all year long. My dad was famous for making fruit salads every night filled with oranges and grapes and bananas and apples and melons. And it was just amazing. It was a beautiful and delicious part of our dinner. And I just have fun. I, I, my mouth is watering just thinking back on that. Fruit is just an amazing thing. And on top of that, it's good for you, right? I mean, it's nutritious. There's just so many benefits from fruit. And Paul says that someday we're going to come into heaven and we're going to have a basket of fruit with us. What does that mean? Well, to answer that question, let's start by looking at what the word fruit means in the New Testament. The Greek word is karpos. It's used about 60 times in the New Testament. It's almost always used as a spiritual illustration of the benefit that comes from a well-lived, healthy life. The fruit of a tree is that which it produces if it's living like it was designed to live. Paul loves this picture. He uses it a lot in his letters. He uses it at least three times in this book. Uh, besides the one we're looking at, it's also in verse 22 where he's talking about how he wants to die and be with Christ or stay behind and live for Christ. That Either way, he says in verse 22, if I am to go living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor or the fruit of labor. So again, it's this picture of that which comes from living a life for God. It's the, it's the benefit, it's the harvest that comes to a faithful farmer. And then he mentions it again in chapter 4, verse 17, where he's thanking the Philippians for their financial gift, how they've been supporting him financially. And, and he says, I don't want you to get this wrong. Verse 17, it's not that I'm looking for the gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. That word credited is fruit. I want the fruit that comes to your account. I want you to enjoy the benefit, the harvest of when you give to me, you are cultivating fruit in your own life. And that's what I crave. I crave a fruitful life in your heart and your soul. Okay, so it's clear that Paul loves fruit, just like me. Uh, but let's get back to our verse in 111 where Paul is praying and declaring that we are going to have fruit in our future. Let me read it again. He says, I pray that you may be blameless and pure on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness, and that through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? What does he mean by fruit in this verse? Well, let's start by looking at the clues that are in this verse that, that describe the fruit. Right? So, first of all, I noticed that there is going to be plenty of it. He starts first 11 by saying, we will be filled, filled, peperomenoi. We will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. The picture, this word filled, brings a picture of a, a bountiful harvest. 
So you picture this old fruit tree with its branches just heavily laden so that they're hanging down. And it's just so much fruit on this tree. It's just a beautiful fruit-filled tree. That's the picture that Paul is describing. He says that's what your life could be like someday. On the day that you enter heaven, that you'll just be filled with fruit. Okay, but let's notice next what kind of fruit he's talking about. What's the source of this fruit? He calls it the fruit of righteousness. Now, that phrase reminds me of the verse from Isaiah that we started this episode with. Do you remember Isaiah 61, 3? They will be called trees of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And remember, that verse describes the ministry of Jesus. It's what he came to do. He came to make us trees, fruit trees of righteousness, bearing righteous fruit. Now, let's just ponder this phrase just a little bit more, the fruit of righteousness. What does that, what does that really mean? Uh, translators will tell you that this can actually be interpreted in, a, in two different ways. The fruit of righteousness could mean the fruit that comes from righteousness, the fruit that results from a righteous life, right? The benefits of a righteous life. Or it could mean that righteousness itself is the fruit that comes from our lives, that we bear the fruit which is righteousness. But whichever way you take it, whether it's righteous fruit or fruitful righteousness, the point is that it is what God calls good, with a capital G, good. It is good fruit. It's delicious, good, wholesome, wonderful, righteous fruit. But if we want to really dig into the source of this fruit, we have to dig further because that just kind of pushes the question back. If the fruit comes from righteousness, where does the righteousness come from? I mean, what's he really talking about here? Is he describing some really godly, upstanding guy who gets to heaven and says, wow, look at all I accomplished in my godly living? No, that's not the picture here. And to prove that, we need to hear Paul's own words on this topic as he describes in just a couple chapters later, in chapter 3, verse 9, he says, I want to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from obeying the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So my friend, Paul is talking about a righteousness that you don't produce. It's a righteousness that's given to you because of your faith in Jesus. And not only does he give you the righteousness, but he's the one who actually produces the fruit in you as well. Look at this. In, back in the prayer, in verse 11, he says, You're filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So not only is Jesus the supplier of the righteousness, he is the supplier and producer of the fruit itself. It's him working in us to produce this fruit. This idea really came home to me this this week when I was uh, at work. And I know I've mentioned before that I sometimes struggle at work. And and, uh, last week was no different. I I was uh, under the gun and uh, feeling kind of, inadequate. And at one point, I just said, Lord, I just don't feel like I can do this anymore. I said, Lord, I I feel like I have a a Toyota Tundra on my back. And every few minutes, somebody's throwing another bag of cement in the bed. And I felt like Jesus just looked at me and he just smiled and said, Kevin, buddy, what are you doing underneath the truck? You know, I think 
most people find it easier to ride inside the cab. <laughs> I just I just had to laugh at that thought. I felt like I wasn't exactly sure what God was telling me through this illustration, but I felt like he was saying, Kevin, you're doing it wrong. You're not supposed to try to carry the truck. That's not what I gave it to you for. And as I prayed over that, I began to realize he wasn't just talking about my my performance at work. He was talking about my entire life, that he didn't give us a Toyota truck for us to try to carry it down the street. He intends for us to climb up in the cab. And so I started praying, Lord, if I'm going to climb in that cab, I don't know how to drive the truck. I need you to drive it. I need you to be the driver, and I just want to ride along with you. And I, I felt like he just said to me, well, finally, <laughs> what have you been waiting for? Friends, I believe that some of us spend far too much of our spiritual lives just trying with all our might to produce fruit, to just to force it out, right? Just to grit our teeth and, and sweat through the pain of making fruit. Guys, if you got a fruit tree near your house, I just encourage you to go out and take a look at it and see how much stress and strain it is under. You know what? It doesn't have to work for the fruit. The, the creator that made the tree knows plenty well how to make the fruit. And Jesus wants to make fruit in your life. On the very last night of his life, one of the last things he told the disciples before he died was he took them out into a field and they were walking through a vineyard and he said, look around, you guys. This is in John 15, verse 4. He says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain or, or abide or live in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you live in me. I am the vine. You're the branches. If a man remains in me, lives and abides in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, if you recall a few episodes ago, I talked about the miracle of my garden, where I planted a little seed a few months ago, and then I got to go out and God miraculously turned that seed into a strawberry. It was a miracle but he allowed me to participate in it. I got to what? I got to plant the seed. But think about it. I didn't even make the seed. I just, I got it from somebody else. I just stuck it in the ground and I didn't even make the dirt. Yeah, I might've amended it with some fertilizer, but I didn't even make that. I didn't make the cow that made the manure. I didn't have anything to do with it except take this borrowed seed, put it into borrowed dirt and pray that God would shower down rain from heaven and miraculously produce the strawberries and blueberries and raspberries that grew in my garden. I mean, it's, it's stunning that he allows me to participate in this miracle and feel like somehow I'm a part of it. Somehow I participated with him in it, but I didn't do anything. He did it all. And yet he delights in letting me cultivate the heart of a farmer in my own soul. And that's what he was wants to do in our lives. Friend, if you're carrying the truck, he wants you to get out from underneath it, climb in the cab and let him drive. Let him plant. I'm using lots of different analogies here. But the point is he wants you to let him produce the fruit of righteousness in you. Our part is just to get as close to him as we can.
to abide in him, to sit in the cab with him, to watch him as he does the amazing work of transforming your soul. We talked about it way back at the beginning when he talked about the, the definition of saints. He called Paul called the Philippians saints. We said that when you at the moment that you first turned to Christ and repented of your sins and placed your faith in Christ, at that moment he transformed the inner core of your being. He made you holy. And the rest of your life is just the process of that holiness working its way out through all of your attitudes and behaviors and mindsets and choices and worldview and Everything about you is going to be transformed, and it comes as we live this life of love. So Paul here in this glorious prayer is getting down on his knees, and he's saying, Lord, all I want is for you to fill them with love, because I know that when they're filled with love, they will overflow in purity and blamelessness, and that will produce a fruit of righteousness so that when they walk into heaven someday, they're going to be carrying this cornucopia filled, this basket filled with the most glorious fruit. But there's one last piece of this prayer that you can't miss. What is the purpose of the fruit? The last line of his prayer is this doxology. The fruit that Jesus produces is for the glory and praise of God. You see, when we get to heaven with our basket filled with fruit, I want to look at your basket and I'm going to say, wow, that's amazing fruit. That's so beautiful. looks so delicious. But I'm going to know that you didn't produce the fruit. I want to know who exactly made the fruit. When you look at my basket and you say, whoa, man, love those apples. <laughs> you're going to know that I had nothing to do with it. It was Jesus working in me, planting the seed of righteousness in my soul that, that burst forth into glorious fruit. And all of the glory of the fruit will go to the creator of the fruit, to the one who sent the rain and sent the sunshine and made the dirt in which this fruit could grow. It'll all be for his glory which is the same thing that Isaiah said 2,700 years ago, and he prophesied they will be called trees of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, the Lord did the planting, to the display of his splendor. I, I love how this verse just echoes the same idea that Paul is praying. It's almost as if he's riffing off these very thoughts. Jesus is the one who will plant the seed in our heart cause it to grow, and allow it to produce fruit so that when we walk into heaven, we don't come in empty-handed. We come in with this fruit that we can give to God for His enjoyment, for His delight, His pleasure, and His glory. And we get to say, thank you, Lord, for letting me be a part of this amazing story. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us this great privilege of participating with you. We're contributing essentially nothing but our hearts, prayers, and desire for you to do the miraculous work of making righteous fruit in us and from our souls that you would produce trees and orchards filled with a bountiful harvest of fruit that we can bring to heaven someday and throw at your feet. Lord, I want to be just like my dad. I want to be making you a fruit salad every night on your banquet table, giving you all the glory for the privilege 
of living and abiding with the one who loves us and who makes us fruitful. Lord, we want to rest in you today. We want to cease striving and know that you are God. Cease carrying the truck and resting just next to you, allowing you to do this great work in us. It's it's a miracle. It's a miracle, and you have promised to do it, and we're grateful for it. Thank you, Jesus, for doing everything necessary that we could be called righteous. We love you, Jesus. Amen. It's been an honor to have you spend this time with me, but don't let it end here. May the words of God continue to resonate in your heart, transform your life, until the day you meet our glorious King and Savior face to face.